0: Hello and welcome to Buddha and the Body Coach. I'm Alexandra Stone and here with T. Proctor.
1: So who's the Buddha? And so I
0: come to show you
1: We're here to talk about the things that matter, what makes your life more meaningful and fulfilled. Oh,
0: I'm so glad to know you so glad to help you throw those fears away, I'll let the sunbeam shine from me, I will light up the hills and then I'll be a part of all you see. Welcome friends to this episode of Buddha and the Body Coach, glad to have you here. Today we're going to be opening with the worst conversation starter ever, aren't we T? What is it?
1: Let's talk about shame.
0: <laughs> That's like literally the uh, the party clears.
1: <laughs> okay, so for those of you that are left, I do want to say that when I say the word shame, essentially everybody will immediately know what I'm talking about. Mm. Very common human experience.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's common to all of us, but you know. The reason why shame is so powerful is because we don't talk about it.
1: Absolutely. It's the underground coercive element in our lives. It's the thing that keeps us held back. It, it keeps us held back as individuals, keeps us held back as a species.
0: Yeah. Have you got a good definition of shame?
1: I do have a good definition of shame, but I think Chat GPT had an even better definition. Uh, with all its knowledge and understanding. Shame is a deep-seated emotion that arises from a belief that we are fundamentally flawed, unworthy or inadequate. And I'll add, unworthy of love.
0: Yeah, all the the good stuff right there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so you can just feel as I, as we start talking about it, you might feel the energy starting to kind of go downward. And that's actually part of the physicality of shame
0: yeah and we've already said a little bit about you know why we want to discuss shame because it it holds so much power over us if we don't enlighten it if we don't speak it into existence so really that's that's the major reason why we want to discuss shame amongst other reasons so you know with shame if we are holding that inside of us then we kind of have this inner psychological violence going on all of the time.
1: And when you're essentially enslaved by this psychological violence that you're talking about, you can't be free, creative, authentic, spontaneous. You're constantly um, self-evaluating, self-doubting.
0: You're living in fear.
1: Yeah, and it really kills our joy, our creativity. It kills pleasure.
0: Exactly. So, you know, you know, I think to start off, let's just do like a little exercise. So listeners, you can pause to do this. So if you just have a little think about in your life, what ways has shame held you back? What ways has shame held you back? And if you just pause it and then just write down, you know, five to 10 things, if you can think of them.
1: Right. So that's a good exercise. And we'll assume that you have paused and done that if you wanted to. Uh, The final things I want to say about why we want to do this podcast on shame and what's so valuable and important is that we can come out from under the stone, the... uh, the weight, the deadness of shame, and we can refine our creativity and our authenticity. It's it's doable. We can shame-proof our lives.
0: Yeah, you know they actually call Western culture a shame-based model? That's insane, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's. I'm just taking that in. That's, that's heavy. And I, I can, you know, the truth of the matter is I can feel in my body as we're talking about this, The pain of this topic so if anybody else is listening here and is feeling that kind of pain or just the heaviness or the desire to either run or fight or get away that's totally understandable this is a significant human pain
0: okay so what is shame should we go into like what actually is this thing
1: yeah, and I think probably starting out with just what the physiology of shame is. And I had this kind of insight about shame. Um, it's pretty common to for people who are dog owners to look at the dog who has just uh, gotten on the countertop and, and eaten the folks' dinner or something to look at the dog and, and scold them, and then the dog puts their head down and cowers in what we would call shame now it's important that people who are um, very much into the sciences say well you can't prove an inner experience of an animal because they can't tell you what they're experiencing and i would say in some ways the animal experience that is maybe the precursor to shame which researchers would probably call submission or submissive behavior has become this um, uh, cancerous growth in our human culture that we don't just show signs that we're submissive and that we give in to the power and that we understand that the power structure has demands on us and we're signaling to them, much like a dog when it cowers, but we're actually taking on Taking that further and taking that on as a sense of being a deficient, an invalid, a broken or an unworthy self.
0: Yeah, we've got that phrase, haven't we? Crippled by shame.
1: Yeah, so the dog, when it gets on the countertop and eats the food, it gets shouted at and it cowers. But the sense is, and most likely, that dog doesn't have the psychological apparatus then to take that on and consider itself just a deficient, defunct, broken, irreparable, <laughs> sinful self.
0: Yeah, exactly. The dog recovers quite quick, doesn't it, from that?
1: Yeah, so you need, you know, 5,000 years of religion to help you uh, take that in and on board <laughs> into your psyche.
0: Exactly. And like some of the effects on our lives are really insidious. So, it really, you know, shame can make us hide, isolate, cover up.
1: Exactly. It, you know, it can also make us um, belligerent. It can make us want to be rebellious and strike out and lashing out all the time to kind of it's kind of like a counter shame or, or uh, uh, the rebel death protest <laughs> to paraphrase.
0: <laughs> it's, it's actually that one is harder to spot because, you know, it's such a it is such a powerful defense. And you kind of you look at that person and you, you might think that they're overconfident.
1: Well, exactly. And you might even feel like, wow, I'd like to be like that. They have no shame. Mm -hmm. And there may be people, this is kind of another story, there may be people that actually don't experience shame, but a lot of people that are, um, even to the point of being grandiose or combative, have deep senses of shame in their subconscious, deep inner images of shame. saying that, I want to go back a little bit still and, and uh, invoke some of this history so that we kind of open up this idea of how shame came to be in human beings, from a, from a chimpanzee or a dog that kind of showed submission or rolled over on, on their back, or put their ears back, to this sense inside of being just wrong, or as it's embedded in culture, sinful.
0: Mm, oh yeah, original sin—you're born with that if you're Christian.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, but you know, when you look at the the anthropology of it, it goes back much further than Christianity. And th- these are all hypotheses, by the way. So people are theorizing about, you know, what wh- why shame first appeared. So if we we look at maybe like tribal cultures, and the hypothesis is that say you step outside the tribal value, the tribe want to know that you know that you've done wrong. And so you might have an actual physical show of symptoms, you know, like blushing, like that kind of thing. So they know that you can stay in line or they can keep you in line. So it has a, a positive end to it. But, <laughs> it but it cuts has a, both it has ways. An
1: evolutionary property, I would say. I don't. I, it's, I have a hard time calling shame. I know. Conduct, but I would say it's an evolutionary yeah. function. Okay.
0: Yeah, I'll go with you on that. <laughs> it has an evolutionary function for the tribe, but then equally it cuts the other way, where you know the tribe recognize that if you're more shame prone, you're easily manipulated.
1: Right, and this is where humans start maybe getting a little power hungry. Yeah. I can fuck with you. I can manipulate you. I can shame you. I can humiliate you.
0: Yeah, and so pe- people who are more prone to Machiavellian traits, they would notice that about a person and use that as a way to coerce
1: and a way to gain power.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. What's the Oscar Wilde thing? Is is a uh... Everything's about everything's about sex except sex. Sex is about. (laughs) I don't know why I thought of that.
0: (laughs) I love Oscar Wilde just because I was quoting him. Yeah, you were just talking about Oscar Wilde.
1: (laughs) Look, it's never a bad idea to bring Oscar Wilde in the conversation. He (laughs) he is literally fabulous.
0: That's true. (laughs) Was (laughs) Uh, okay. So just going back to that idea, you know that you can be coerced.
1: Right, and so this this word coercion, coercion is a very powerful word for me. You know, I've talked about it. Um, we also talked about uh, this, and this is similar to our podcast that we did about the inner critic and the judge. Um, kicking the inner critic is the name of that podcast. We talked about coercion. We talked about blackmail, which blackmail essentially is co- coercion. And in the case of shame, the coercion that's happening is... Your sense of goodness as a person, your sense of basic underlying goodness and okayness, is being held hostage by a shaming culture, a shaming tribe, a shaming partner or family and ultimately a Part of yourself that shames you to keep you in line
0: mm, Exactly, so I mean if you think about the evolutionary function of it we We don't want people around us breaking taboos. Now, if if you take a very clear taboo, like murder. Okay, so we want to make sure that people understand that that's not appropriate, that's not within our moral code because if that's allowed, then there's going to be chaos, right?
1: Right, so it's it's a way that people learn to keep... Rules and laws in society.
0: Exactly. It's just think about the Ten Commandments: Thou yeah. shalt not sleep with. thou shalt thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife.
1: Right, yeah. and so this is an interesting thing because rules and laws within themselves are perfectly fine. It's when we get into the punishment phase. Yeah. And if you think about. If anybody's watched, you know, Vikings or any of the (laughs) any historical uh, fiction, what you see is just these incredibly harsh punishments. People are publicly punished. People are put in the stocks. People are put in public, and I'm sorry to say, torn apart literally.
0: Oh God, yeah. I'm thinking of. I know. I know you're thinking about that torture scene. What was it called that that they did?
1: I don't want to bring up the graphics too much. And <laughs> by much. the way, maybe we should put a little warning at the beginning of this. This, this is intense stuff. This stuff is all embedded in our human psyche.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so we learn to take on hey, I don't want to be that person that's getting publicly shamed, publicly punished, publicly humiliated. So I learn to take on an adequate sense of shame which is kind of a uh, near enemy of humility, so to speak. It's the toxic version of humility. And so I don't want to step out of line and be tortured.
0: Mm, yeah, you know what, I was thinking about another scene, which I think more people will have, have accessed. Game of Thrones, when she uh, had to walk n- naked through the town. Say say had to walk naked through the town oh, right. and everybody's throwing like rotten fruit at her. I mean, that's that's like your bad dream, isn't it?
1: Exactly. And, and we can all relate to that because we all have a sense inside of us of that feeling. I think even if people weren't traumatically shamed as kids, we have a genetic resonance with that kind of shaming.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say that. That's probably because coming through epigenetics and all kinds of stuff i mean just just yeah really that it's so visceral you know not wanting to be thrown out of the tribe and yet you know it's 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 not such a massive problem now is it you know if we get (laughs) who's going to throw us out the tribe now if we get thrown out of the tribe now we've still got access to costco
1: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i mean it's interesting and i won't go into this but there's you know this discussion about what's called cancel culture and uh, the shaming aspect of that and the, the remedial aspect of that we won't go into that but the point is is that shame is this coercive prison that holds us hostage and keeps us from being real true heartful loving creative joyful beings so as you start to look at it there are different flavors of shame.
0: Yeah, like unworthiness.
1: Right, unworthiness.
0: Feeling broken Mm -hmm. and unlovable at your core. Like somehow I think there's this sense that you're personally flawed, you're defective, Mm -hmm. you're bad, sinful.
1: Yes, exactly. So as we say all these words, you might feel all these words land. Bad, sinful, broken. Disgusting.
0: Yeah, they're terrible labels to put on people as well.
1: That disgusting connection?
0: Yeah, I mean no,
1: well, the, the connection between shame in the brain and disgust oh, in yeah. the brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Closely related brain activities, disgust mm-hmm. and shame. Yes, so,
0: yes self-disgust, yeah, self-disgust, self-loathing.
1: So yeah. In the worst cases, our caregivers, our family our schools could have shown us disgust, could have been disgusted with us. And it's possible to have taken on that sense of being disgusting, yeah. that sense of self-disgust. And this is incredibly painful. Speaking of the brain, the shame, the rejection registers in the pain centers of the brain in the same way that pain registers.
0: Yeah. You know, when I I was talking to one of my friends from Liverpool about this podcast, so you were there actually when we were Mm -hmm. having a chat and, you know, I told him we were talking about shame and he said, well, do you remember Liverpool in like, I think it would have been in the late 80s, early 90s when there was this, there was this phrase and this action that everybody would take and somebody was doing something that you you know wanted to point out and ridicule you might say you might go shame and you do this sort of weird thing with your hand where you'd cover your face shame (laughs) I'll put it on our Instagram so you go to our Instagram you'll be able to see it when we put the podcast up but I'm from a Catholic community and shame and guilt were entrenched in the culture
1: Drenched and entrenched. (laughs) Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's kind of like a framework that we all grew up with. So if you're listening to this and, you know, you're from a Catholic culture, you most definitely grew up with this idea that you're somehow sinful and shameful.
1: So the podcast is about coming out of that shame, waking up out of the shame, shame-proofing your life as I said before and we need some tools, we need some capacities within ourselves to start to see the voices in our own heads of shame, the voices in the world about shame. We need a kind of an eye towards shame so that we're starting to be aware Oh, this is not just normal discussion, this is not normal assessment, this is shaming. This is trying to hit at the value of who I am, or who somebody is. And ultimately, to shift this, we're not just shifting our relationship with ourselves, it's a commitment to come into the world and not want to live in a world that's based in shame and coercion. So not shaming others, not devaluing who other people are for even what they do. Yeah. Or how they look, especially, or their mm. identity.
0: Mm. So I'm just going to play devil's advocate here a second because I know that there may be some people listening, or to our listeners, you probably know somebody who really believes that shame has a function, let's say, when somebody does, like, breaks a real taboo. Okay. So I'm just going to go with the most obvious one. Sexual abuse, okay? So this is like, you know, a big shadow, a big evil shadow in our culture, yeah? And if somebody abuses a child, shouldn't they be shamed? I'm asking you, T, now.
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm a little hesitant on this one, Alex, because it's such a big and painful topic, and I, I honestly, I'm not sure we should go there. I think it's too heavy. I, th- I think we need to take a little lighter... Like, a little lighter example, um, maybe, you know, even if it was like Louis C.K. or something like that.
0: Louis C.K., all right, well, let's talk about
1: that. Because I I, I think the whole, I'm not going to presuppose to take on the whole specter of something that big right now. Fair enough. (laughs) But, like, we can look at Louis C.K. and see, you know, he was in a position of kind of, maybe not totally recognized to himself power over other some other younger comedians and he requested that to masturbate in front of those those other younger female comedians
0: did you request or did you just get it out and i start believe he
1: requested and they said yes but they said yes under kind of a, a uh. coercion of of feeling that he was higher status mm. higher power you know obviously a famous comedian. And so what we tend to want to do is shame him, devalue him, tell him he's a terrible person. And that's a real shortcut to doing, first of all, protecting the people that need protecting. That does need to happen. Separating him from those people, you know, and and professionally that did happen and starting some kind of a process of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. None of those things require that we communicate to Louis C.K. that he is inherently a bad person, that he's unworthy, unlovable, that he's broken. He has some behaviors That need to stop.
0: Some deviant behaviors.
1: Well, even, you know, deviant. There may be places where that's very acceptable. Um, We could go into that. I don't know what Saudi Arabia (laughs) would say about that. Maybe they wouldn't even. I don't know. Forgive me, Saudi Arabia. But there may be cultures that that a man can do whatever they like in terms of that. Mm. Uh, Forgive me about the Saudi Arabia. but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You get canceled. Yeah. You're going to get shamed.
1: Right. Uh, Now I'm going to be shamed my point being is that we naturally assume that the best way to handle this is to take away someone's inherent value what you get when you do that is you get somebody who hates who feels humiliated who wants to strike back who wants to lash out we perpetuate a kind of a society of hatred we perpetuate a society in which we're not allowed to make mistakes mm. even bad mistakes we perpetuate a society that in which there's no redemption sin sin is mortal sin
0: yeah yeah all right well i'm going to again just keep playing devil's ad, ad, advocate here and people are going to say you're a snowflake and <laughs>
1: You know this, and, this, this look, mic I'm talking into right now is called a snowball. <laughs> We're both talking into snowball mics. I don't know what that sounds like.
0: Uh, and if you if you don't if you don't put somebody who's done something wrong in the stocks, you know, and I'm talking metaphorically here within the culture, if you don't do that, then how will others? know that they're not supposed to do that. That's why we do it, right? That's why they used to kill people and, you know, let's say people who had committed treachery and they would put their heads on on a spike so that everybody coming into the town or whatever would see that and that would invoke fear so that you wouldn't be tempted to commit treason as well. So that's why I think we do it as a culture.
1: Yeah, and I would say to that, there is an effect of that, for sure. That coercive effect does work. It's not, not that it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's do we want to live in that world, mm. okay? And so I don't want to live in that world. Yeah. When I look at the people that I love, I don't want the people that I love to suffer crippling shame, even if they do wrong things, even if they do bad things. So when I look at people I don't like, do I want them to suffer crippling shame? I have to contend with that in myself. Do I want to hurt other people because they've hurt people? That's a profound thing.
0: I know. It's do weird, I want isn't to hurt
1: it? other people because they've hurt people?
0: Well, it's weird because uh, what you're doing when you're wanting to hate that person who's hurt somebody else is you're sort of becoming them in a way because you're doing the bad thing. You want to do the bad, bad thing yeah. that you are pointing at them for.
1: And that is why, you know, Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high. Yeah. Because that's claiming your real humanity. That's claiming your true heart. And look, what is the point of living in this world if you can't live in this world with some heart and humanity? Mm. Are you just an animal that's you know scrapping at a carcass to survive, and you know threatening other animals and baring your teeth? Yeah. Is that what this world is about? Because that's not how I want to live. So, I want people who do things that hurt other people to be separated out. I want them to have consequences for that, even if that right now the best thing we can do is is put them in a cell somewhere, although there's probably better things down the line in history. But I don't need to take away their human value. And I don't think that that does any real good for anybody. All it does is perpetuate a culture of fear.
0: I know, and I mean, I'm just. I mean, I'm when you when you talk, I agree with you, and then my mind naturally wants to play devil's advocate again and just you know be like, okay, look, and I'm going to go somewhere somewhere dark. I think the listeners can handle it. Like if it was a child or somebody that um, was killed, you know. You, I think you would sit there thinking, I don't, this person doesn't deserve their humanity. It would be really hard, wouldn't it, to be like, okay, compassionate. And that's why we hold these, these people who are capable of that, like Nelson Mandela, we hold them up as saints.
1: Right, and you know what? I don't expect somebody who's had a child killed or somebody close, you know, somebody who's had that deep of a trauma, I don't expect them not to feel wrath and rage and and you know the desire to strike out and lash out that's why we actually have systems of justice mm. that's why you're not allowed to go kill somebody that did you wrong that's why we have justice because justice is supposed to be impartial
0: and right, fair yeah. and unemotional
1: and unemotional yeah it's supposed to help us from Having to go down the road of becoming the killer of the killers the vigilante the vigilante, right? Yeah Yeah, so look this is not some idealized version of oh all of a sudden you have to become Jesus Christ on the cross. (laughs) Oh, yes, put the more nails in please (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah, that's not what this is about. This is about starting to liberate ourselves from these centuries of human coercion, of human shame, and starting to see that there is another way.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about the extremes here, right? But right. if we just take it back to ordinary life within an ordinary family where human beings are, you know, they're not committing the worst crimes that you can think of. Like, is that chain-based model really appropriate when dealing with human beings on a level like that? I, I don't think that it is. Personally.
1: Well, and if, if you ask yourself again, do I want to see, just start, don't worry about the whole world of killers and rapists, and you know, that's too much to take on. But if you ask yourself, you know, the, the, the children in your life, the people that you care about, the sweet, the innocent people, do I want them to feel crippling shame? Yeah. If your answer is no, then this is a podcast for you. If your answer is yes, maybe this isn't this isn't the right information for you. And that's fine. Yeah. So I want to go move on because I want to talk about um, shame as an experience a little more. I want to mm-hmm. talk about the seesaw of shame. How how when we're living under the influence of shame our, our self-image is I'm a good person, I did alright, I'm, I'm in fact pretty great I'm, I'm, I'm loving and I'm available and I'm open and then how that in an instant can collapse down into Oh, I'm a piece of shit mm. you know? So the seesaw back and forth and in normal life we tend to seesaw a little less hopefully not from all the way down to the pits to all the way down to the heights, that's a bit of a, uh, might be a, a bit of a brain thing even, to be dealt with by psychiatrists. But we want to talk about the different types of shame.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say that. So, do you want to expand on that or should we just go into what
1: these types are? Yeah, let's just start talking about body shame.
0: Okay. Yeah, body shame. But that's a big one. You know, it's interesting because there is a pushback against body shame. I mean, when I grew up, I didn't even hear the phrase body shame, but now it's like, are you shaming me? Are you body shaming me? And it's, you know, there's a hashtag to go with it. Um, I'm glad that there is a pushback there against that because I feel that body shame, even though it affects all human beings, you know, women really have to deal with this one. It's so much a part of the female psyche.
1: Yeah, so that's, a, and it's a very fundamental form of shame. It's looking at someone based on the form of who they are and saying, your form is not right. Mm. You don't get to be good, loved, accepted yeah. because your form is not right.
0: Yeah, and if you think about like the earliest type of body shame, it's, it's going to be around bodily excretions, isn't it?
1: You know, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up and, and that's a whole um, decade of psychological study and you could dive into the, the psychoanalytic literature <laughs> around potty training. <laughs> but it's absolutely true. What I would say about that is that that brings us back to that sense of disgust. Yeah. There is something, and you know, look, This is a little intense, but when you're born out of your mother there's a lot of blood and a lot of a lot of um, Afterbirth and things like that if your mother were to look down and be disgusted by that that could really imprint you
0: Yeah, that's weird, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's weird, but we're getting kind of deep with this podcast but shame goes deep and body shame goes deep so The things that we were accepted for, or rejected for, on the level of our body, like I was telling you, when I was a kid, I had platinum white hair, until I was like 10 years old, and there just weren't very many kids for some reason. Now they're all over the place. Uh, It didn't seem like when I was a kid, there were hardly any, and I thought there was something wrong with me, from just having that shock of white hair. Of course my hair darkened as i got older it's crazy isn't and, it? and you forget about those things mm. but that sense you know i never talked to anybody about it either i never asked anybody i just carried that sense of like somehow being like not as good as mm. right yeah and i didn't even ever no blondes had more fun
0: <laughs> i know and i think that you know for females your highest value is in the way that you look So when I was younger, we were just presented with these images of how a woman was supposed to look. And we didn't have the internet, because I'm showing my age. So, you know, it was just the images that Hollywood wanted to generate or Disney or whoever, you know. And so you're always just comparing yourself to that scale. And of course, like, you can't possibly, you can't possibly measure up. So you start to feel a sense of shame. Around your body, especially as you go through puberty, my goodness.
1: Yeah, and I, I think this is actually, as we wrap this part up, is that someone who's born with a different color of skin, which is not the societal, uh, societally accepted color of skin or whatever particular, um, you know, I guess called minority population what an absolutely heartbreaking thing to have to deal with to be born and just implicitly understood within the society to be be not as good as
0: yeah i'm from a mixed race family so i saw both sides of that coin or close
1: yeah so i mean that's painful and i just it was worth taking a breath for before we move into behavioral shame
0: yeah just before we do you should watch justine bateman talk about her age and face i watched that quite recently she's got a podcast she's got a book and everything but mm. she really kind of pushes up and you know puts up a, a good a, a good solid defense around the shame of the age and face
1: and we'll come back to the defending okay because cool. this is important so as we move on to behavioral shame now we get to be of a certain age where Um, Even very young ages we start to have needs. So I reach out and I have a need Maybe my mother Has three other kids hanging off her and she's trying to run a household and she doesn't respond to that need Mm -hmm. So in that situation Because this is the way child's minds work. There's something wrong with me reaching out is unacceptable my need is unacceptable my expression of need
0: yeah did you see that you think like if you've got an insecure attachment style is that shame is sort of implicit
1: yeah actually I heard some researchers saying that, yeah. that that if you have insecure attachment there's a kind of an implicit shame in that that I'm not acceptable so now whatever you're trying to do within the attachment relationship especially in an insecure attachment can be read back by yourself as there's something wrong with the way i'm behaving or being Mm -hmm. and also you know with how i look or or who i am as a body so as we move along all these things get so much more complicated we go to school and you know we we do know how to fit in or we don't know how to fit in or we're accepted or not accepted uh I'm to think of some things in, in school, you know, where you did the wrong thing and suddenly like you're on the outs, you're I, shamed.
0: Uh, I wore a pair of orange, what were they, they were like, I think they were feeler or something like that. Not like a, a really good brand at the time. Uh, orange boots with blue soles. My Auntie Shirley sent me them from Canada. I thought they were fantastic. My school friends did not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so like suddenly, you know, there's that seesaw of shame. You feel great. You're walking out of the house. You feel sporty. And then somebody is like, what are you wearing? (laughs) Yeah. And in worse situations, like sometimes we actually fuck up. And so then it's like, what are you doing?
0: Mm. What
1: is wrong with you?
0: yeah what is wrong with you so that's what the thing about shame it's just like it's it's you that's wrong it's not the bad choice it's not the thing that you did it's you you something wrong with you
1: right and so that behavioral shame is very much blended in with the social shame you're not meeting your groups you know one thing that's interesting you talk about clothes i at one point i think i went to like five or seven different schools in in a course of maybe five years or four years, and going back and forth from California. In California, everybody was wearing like vans and, and Ocean Pacific t-shirts, and I'd go back to Arizona, and people were wearing cowboy hats or some other thing. And it, it, whatever, whenever I got up on what I was supposed to be doing, I'd go to the next place, and that's not the thing you were supposed to be doing. And so I always felt during that phase like I was out of phase. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's that cultural shame. There's a lot there's a part, of currency, the, the, the in, social shame, a
0: lot of currency and clothes, isn't there when you when you're young?
1: Yeah, it really there really is. And there's a lot more to it, but it, that's keeping it a little lighter. So we don't have to Yeah. go to the worst. <laughs> um, so there's cultural shame and you know, it's interesting because uh, some of the things we were listening to referenced Japan and the sense of shame that people in the culture of Japan live with and the the suicide rates and even the acceptability of suicide because at some point in that culture it's been deemed that you are just absolutely unacceptable as a human being. Uh, you know, other enlightened cultures, probably Marin County, uh, maybe, maybe not so much on the shame, we're a little bit more inclusive and, and mm. you can be who you are and look the way you want and, yeah. and even fail.
0: Yeah, well in a lot of cultures there is this idea that you've shamed your family
1: yeah so that is there's a cultural shame and then the culture can hold the family very high because there's a family shame and the the family shame can go both ways you can be ashamed of the family that you come from Mm. or you can be shamed by your family for wanting to be different from your family
0: Mm. yeah that's a big one
1: right (laughs) this is all we don't need to go into detail with each one of these but i think for some people this will ring a bell there's also spiritual shame and you you said something about spiritual shame before
0: oh yeah like you know if well you know personally i was probably the first to go off i know i definitely was the first to go off and start to explore eastern philosophy in my family well actually my granddad did but um it just it my my immediate family was really atheist so when i started to really get into that and explore that there was there was some shame in there without a doubt especially as i got into non-duality and i was probably a bit of a prig about it as well don't get me wrong but there's no support there and like you know i was really getting into just exploring these different types of spiritualities and my inner world in a different way and yeah it was it was tough
1: so that's beyond that we have like professional shame and and the shame that comes from either not being successful enough or comparative success and all the different things you can get into around shame around work and the way that you succeed or fail in that arena but as we're moving on it's time to start to talk about how you know you're feeling shame
0: Yeah, and it seems like a funny question, right? But I think because shame is such an implicit part of our cultural psyche, people just think that's who they are, that's who they have to be. They have to have this shame-based psychology and this mean inner voice, and they don't question it.
1: So right now, if you just check your gut, from zero being no shame at all to 10 being crippled by shame... As a listener, what do you feel like your level of shame is right now or your level of shame is in general? Is it a four, is it an eight, is it a two? Where are you with shame? Just check your gut, your first answer, Mm. right? Because some people are more susceptible to shame than others, which is probably genetic as well as your upbringing.
0: Yeah, so let's go into it then, like how do you know when you're feeling shame. So we've got a little list here. Everybody loves a list, don't they?
1: Yes, let's list it up.
0: <laughs> so number one, you beat yourself up. You've got a strong inner critic.
1: Right, so if you have some awareness, do you beat yourself up or have a strong inner critic?
0: <laughs> yeah, and you can listen to our inner critic podcast, by the way. Go back and listen to that because like, we really go into the inner critic and how to deal with it.
1: Kicking the inner critic, it's called.
0: Yeah. Kicking the inner critic. So number two, you worry about what others think. A lot. You might have rejection sensitivity, otherwise known as RSD. Mm. So let's just say like, you know, you worry about what others think. When we say a lot, there is a scale here as well. Okay, it's normal to worry a little bit about what your peers might be thinking about you. It is not normal. Yeah, nobody wants
1: to vomit on the plane.
0: (laughs) Right. yeah okay exactly it's not normal to have an interaction with somebody and then to be going over that interaction in minute detail for hours after it happened and for that to be consuming your whole day your whole head right
1: different levels different levels absolutely so rejection sensitivity also people that have a high rejection sensitivity or a lot of shame will tend to hide they tend to stay out of situations. They tend to hide who they are as people. They tend to hide their opinions. Mm,
0: don't they take m- risks.
1: They won't take risks. They, they may even dress in a hiding way.
0: Mm. So they would have them with that submissive body posture. Um, and they also probably more frown, prone <laughs> to anxiety.
1: Yeah, so when, you know, they say one of the greatest fears is the fear of public speaking so that just remember that everyone has this shame that it's a very common thing to feel hyper aware and not want to step outside and be ridiculed or humiliated but for some people it can really get amped up that sense of anxiety or getting flushed when you have to go in front of other people or just be in a group or maybe going foggy when it's your turn to share or talk, or even terror or actually dissociating, feeling like you're outside of your body.
0: Yeah, we had a good example about this. So you know if you're not sure whether you're carrying a lot of shame, one used to just think back to the last time you were in a group and the group leader went around and said, can you tell us your name and a little bit about yourself, maybe something interesting. Just think about that moment, and if you were crushed in that moment and how it felt as the finger comes to you, right, you might be carrying some shame there.
1: And if you weren't able to listen to what anybody else <laughs> said because you were just consumed with what you were going to say.
0: I've, I've totally been there. It's definitely, you know, British people hate that. Mm. There's, it's a known thing in Britain that Americans are generally... Okay, <laughs> with talking about themselves in group settings.
1: Well, somebody used that example um, <laughs> that in Sweden it's highly taboo to show off, yeah. whereas in our country it's like almost like the national the national kind of like uh, <laughs> yep. program.
0: Yeah, we have we have tall poppy syndrome, big time.
1: So you know, another way that we um, know that we could be feeling shame is. And this is a little harder because this is kind of a counter shame behavior it's we're a little too combative or rebellious even without cause we're kind of like preemptively shutting anybody down or attacking mm. or lashing out at anybody who might even potentially threaten to shame us yeah a real so prickly,
0: prickliness
1: prickly combative yeah yeah flaring up yeah So that's important to know because shame isn't always sinking and um, as we're going to talk about the body signs of um, that you were going to talk about now. Yeah, like the
0: classic kind of signs of shame, you know, like blushing, sinking, eyes down, um, unable to make eye contact, um, submissive posture, like I said before, some shaking, um... A sense of like collapse in your your belly, like feeling a sense of um, emptiness.
1: Or hollow at the guts or insubstantiality.
0: Yeah. Um, And really really a hyper self-awareness, right? I think that's what, you know, a lot of the time like what it is. You know, public speaking is the most, I think it's like the most common fear after death, something like that.
1: Right. I, I think maybe it's even before death. It might be, <laughs> although well,
0: that's because people are thinking I think, about
1: it. I think if you actually put somebody and said, "Here's <laughs> your choice of public speaking or death," most people would probably choose public speaking. Exactly. But not everybody. Exactly. So yeah, the hyper self awareness that's actually a, a good thing to focus on, because that could come up in a lot of ways. Can come up, as we said, in the critic. It can come up in a kind of a sense of like having a, a real sensitivity at your skin, like like you're hyper aware, it's almost like you feel everybody's eyes in the room. Um, You might think you know what their thoughts are about you, or start putting thoughts in your head, or telling a narrative about what other people think about you. But it's Again, like you said before, you might go home and go over and over and over what happened in a, a situation uh, where you didn't feel accepted or you felt rejected or shamed.
0: Mm. Yeah, often the things that are coming up in your head are things that have been said to you in the past, you know, like it might be shaming you around, you know, how you look or how you speak or how you act. And that might be what comes into your head in that moment.
1: Yeah, those we often call those scripts or schemas.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah,
1: those scripts run in your head. Oh, I knew, you know, I'm too fat To mm. my nose is too this. Yeah, you know
0: I've got goofy teeth,
1: right? I smell <laughs> <laughs> Yeah um, So having said those things if you just go back and kind of redo the shame scale as a listener what Do you feel your shame scale is now or in general? On a scale from 0 being no shame, 10 being crippled by shame, where are you on the shame scale? So another aspect of shame that I want to bring in is shame around gender. And obviously at this time in our culture, Gender shame is really at the forefront and there's a lot of repression There's a lot of desire to control to limit other people's expression of gender and there's a lot of people that are wanting to come out and Reclaim or claim gender or not be shamed for their gender in our culture. Now what we know being, I guess, we're cisgender people, is that right? Yeah. But we know as cisgender people is is being male and female. So I'm not going to speak for the people that are identifying differently, but I want to recognize the pain of that struggle of feeling judged, ridiculed, humiliated, and historically acted upon violently, historically as well as now, for who you feel you are. That's incredibly painful. And my heart goes out to the people who are in that struggle.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I just wanna say, look, repression or oppression, it doesn't work, you know, like you need to discuss it. We need to be able to talk about it. And also, you know, if people, do, people are afraid of it, if they don't understand it, if they don't think it's right, those voices should be allowed to talk too, because if we try and oppress that side of things, we can never really meet each other. We can never get to a full understanding of it. So it's, you know, both sides of the coin need to really meet there and let go of the shame.
1: Yeah. And the best way to normalize something is to make friends with it. So- yeah. So... It's hard right now to make those friends, but I'm hoping that some friendship can be extended. But again, for us, just for instance, the experience of being a man uh, growing up at the time I did, which is a little different, there was a different time when being a man or being a boy meant boys don't cry, boys are tough, boys are stoic, boys compete. Boys win. Boys have power. Um, Boys don't show femininity because then you would be a queer. Right? There was a lot of those messages that came up with. You know, and there's a lot of like phallic messages. Boys have these big, hard, thick, driving personalities. Right? And we achieve and we accomplish and we are men and we're hard. Okay? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of that phallic Um, stuff that that I had to come up and graduate from that was in this culture
0: yeah and then the other side of that for women you are supposed to be pretty quiet pleasing so Uh. yeah kind gentle soft nurturing all of these things you know And you're not supposed to be tough, really, as a woman. You just let the man be tough for you. And a lot of the shame, like I said before, for women comes around how they look. Because look, it wasn't that long ago that we were sold like cattle. And that was all based upon how you looked and how much money your family had. That's it. That was your worth.
1: Well, so... Yeah, lest we forget we came from a long period of hardship and women faced that hardship uh, as kind of semi-slaves in the culture for a long time Men by virtue of being perhaps more oppressive Faced the shame of being out of touch with their sensitivity and their realness, and their humanity.
0: Yeah, and they were sent off to war, and they had to be brutish in order to survive.
1: So, I think that's enough about that for now, because we want to go on and we want to talk about the um, evolution, or the potential evolution of shame consciousness. You know, Actually, you're calling it the family of shame, and I was a little bit hesitant to call it that because I wanted to make some distinction. But in this arena of shame, we tend to have shame, guilt, and remorse. And to focus on those, we've talked a lot about shame, which is being wrong for who you are. Guilt is being wrong for something that you did. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bad or wrong or indecent human being, but you did something wrong. Now, there's an interesting thing without going into guilt too much, because I think it's simple, like I took the cookie from the jar. I did something wrong or bad. That was a wrong or bad thing, right? There's an interesting thing about this, and it's a little twist. It's kind of an evolution from shame because we're able to recognize the behavior was bad, but I'm not bad. Yeah. So in a way, it's a step out of shame. It's a distancing from the shame of the self. Although it can feed right back into a shame of the self. I took the cookie because I'm a bad person. Yeah, That would be shame. I'm mm. just I'm just a failure.
0: Mm. You can see the way it just becomes a loop as well, and mm. then it kind of becomes the self image and how we sort of generate bad people?
1: <laughs> yeah, we generate bad people. How <laughs> fucked up is that? <laughs> so so as we're able to kind of at least come out and say, yeah, I did that and that wasn't right, then we can come into guilt. That's at least a step out of shame, but I want to suggest a further evolution. We already have a word for it, and it's called remorse. And what I'm gonna define remorse as as an empathic response to an actual hurting of someone or nature or something else. So that remorse is no longer really about myself. I'm not bad, even what I did, it's not about it being good or bad it's not in the duality of good or bad but did it hurt someone else did it actually cause damage to another and if it did hurt or cause damage how is that really in my heart and does my heart is my heart capable of reaching out and having empathy for that pain and reconciling and repairing with that usually another person yeah now, I want to just go... I want to give an example okay. here because, look, there's religions, for instance, and they give us all these things that we're not supposed to do. I'll just say shellfish, right? I'm sorry, <laughs> but if your religion said don't eat shellfish and you ate shellfish, there's not a goddamn thing wrong with that. <laughs> all right? <laughs> it just isn't wrong.
0: It's an arbitrary It's just
1: against your religion. <laughs> so now... There need be no remorse for eating shellfish. You might have to uh, solve some things politically within your cult, but there need be no remorse. You didn't hurt, well, you might have hurt the shellfish, that's another thing, but other than that, you didn't hurt anybody, you didn't do damage, you simply did something as a human being that you need to do to survive. There should be no shame in that. Okay, but as human beings with hearts, if we do something not just telling the truth like i don't want to come over to your house tonight that's okay too <laughs> but if if we did something like speaking really sharply and and you know in a humiliating way to our partner in public we need to understand that that hurt that they felt pain that our deed cause that and as we feel that and as we recognize that pain we not only recognize that it's painful to hurt another you can't hurt others without actually hurting yourself you recognize your common humanity you recognize your connection
0: yeah it's hard to get there if you if you do have a shameful self image because if somebody is hit by your action or just says, hey, that hurts. They may not even say, you hate me. You take that on as the bad self. So, And then there might be that defense that comes up. So it's actually having a, a real shameful self-image is bad for a relationship because it, you can't empathize truly with your partner because you can't get yourself out the way.
1: Right. And that's the key to all this is getting yourself out of the way. Because... Everything that's ever come before has created what's coming now. It's not really about you. It's only about you in that moment of recognition. What's really here? What's really true? Oh, you're hurting. I care more about your hurting than defending myself or making myself some kind of, you know, supplicating ears back belly up kind of animal and slinking over to you. I want to let you know that I saw your pain, I want to let you know that I care, and I want to repair that. That's remorse. That's what I see as remorse.
0: Yeah, but it just—you know—it's not going to happen all at once. Just because you know it, you know now you know. Okay, I need to move to remorse, and I can just maybe even let go of you know guilt and shame. It's a—it's a subconscious process. That's something that you learn from the moment that you took breath, probably. And so you have to unlearn it and that takes some application. Yeah, that's a
1: really good point, Alex. So let's give about 25, 30 years and check back in on this. Because really, (laughs) this is is about evolving as a human being and perhaps humanity evolving out of a coercive, violent, punishing culture.
0: Exactly. So this is another important point. Now that you know it, don't shame yourself yes. <laughs> for these behaviors i used to find that a lot actually in spiritual communities the yoga community i'll say um, so we would learn love and kindness and there was a kind of uh, there was a currency with how wise and kind and loving that you could be and so you sort of became aware that you had a, maybe a mean and a voice or in a critic and you were trying to not act from that, trying so hard to not act from that. But I mean, it's been with you for a long time. So it's really difficult to do that. But because there was this value within the yoga community of being the kind, loving, warm-hearted one, if you stepped outside of that, there was shame. So you'd shame yourself as well.
1: It's pretty damn complicated. So yeah. give yourself a break. Yep. Yeah. We're speaking of from a place of having worked on this for a long time and and particularly myself working with people in this a long time, understanding that you can make progress in this and that it can really change your life and your own relationship to yourself and others. Yeah. So I want to go ahead and um, move into shame-proofing your life. Nice. So one of the things that we start to need is a good shame defense system, which starts with just awareness and just listening. If you've gotten this far on the podcast, you've got an increased awareness of shame and how shame works and where shame comes from. In terms of becoming more aware, we start to become aware of how our critic talks to us. We start to become aware of how we like to use shame. Yeah. Even with, with pets or kids or other people, how we like to keep order by using shame, that coercive force. I love you if.
0: Yeah. One thing I do with clients when I notice that there's a really strong inner critic is I have them write down what their critic is saying to them for a week. And I the way I frame it is write down All of the main ways that you're beating yourself up. And what you'll find is that there's repetition. So it's going to be similar themes that come up all of the time. Do that for a week. And alongside doing that, practice meta love and kindness meditation. Because it's really hard to see how vindictive and mean you are to yourself. So you need something to soften the blow there. And love and kindness meditation. is is a good tool.
1: Right, and that moves right into our next step. These are kind of our four pillars, and I'll just say them. It's awareness, self-kindness, common sense of humanity, and standing up to shame. But our our second pillar is self-kindness. And that's going to be very foreign to some people.
0: Really is. It's a foreign concept. And again, if you never grew up with this model, then you have to learn it. And what I find with clients when they do have a a strong inner critic, a shame-based psychology, is that when I ask them to start to say kind things to themselves, they cringe.
1: Right. That's pretty powerful. So, like, we have a strong defense against being kind to ourselves.
0: I know. And what I say to them is, just think about that mean voice a sec. Why are you not cringing at that? Don't you think that that, that's so misplaced that that's where you should be putting the cringe?
1: So just like there may be people in our lives, whether it's a neighbor or a a little child or an elderly person, we're just kind and we say hi. (laughs) (laughs) Just consider the fact that you can just once in a while sit down with yourself and say hi. Hey, how you doing?
0: I know. Some people, What's it like yeah, to be you? Some people just would never do that. I mean the what I do is I I start them off with very practical things. You know, so as so you don't have to be overly sentimental and looking in the mirror at yourself, you're beautiful. You know, everybody loves you. I love you. You don't have to do that. Just start off with some really practical things like, okay, I don't want to work out today. I want to lie on the couch and watch Netflix and eat some chocolate. Okay, well, I know you're feeling tired and you don't really want to work out today, But you know you're going to feel better afterwards, aren't you? You know it's the better choice right now. And I really do see how tired and fatigued you are. But energy goes with energy flows. And you can just talk to yourself like that on that level. So you're almost like a parent. You just don't have to be mean in the beginning. That's all.
1: (laughs) Just don't be mean. Just don't be mean. Just don't be mean.
0: Just be practical. Don't be mean.
1: (laughs) Right, right. So, um, <laughs> that's great. Don't be mean. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we've talked kind of a lot about our common sense of humanity, but we've got to remember that we're all in this together. We're all living in this shame paradigm. We've all learned on some level level or another that we're not good enough. We're not worth it. Mm so
0: no one's talking about it that's the other thing
1: Mm. that's what we
0: said at the beginning it's it's the worst conversation starter it's secret but everyone's experiencing it
1: right and so going along with these steps I really suggest talking to somebody one-on-one about this and I suggest starting in a really safe and confidential way and you don't have to first of all talk about the specifics of things you're shamed about Um, And you don't have to go into the biggest shames of your life, but you can start testing with a therapist or with a teacher that somebody that you feel very safe with and you know values confidentiality, start testing, talking about and looking into shame.
0: Yeah, so you confront.
1: Right. And so ultimately, our next tool...
0: Is standing up to shame.
1: Right. Standing up to shame
0: yeah so we're going to conf- we're going to confront this thing that is hiding in us that is quote, sort of g- growing like this little fear baby
1: <laughs> right so this is where it gets good because what we think is if we start being kind if we're aware if we have a common sense of humanity we're just going to like melt into a little ball of nothing The truth is, it takes a lot of strength, and a lot of courage to stand up and say, I don't want to do your shame anymore. I don't want to be shamed by you. I don't want to shame myself. I don't want to live in a world of shame anymore. And that takes a lot of courage to take that first step and do that. But as you continue to do that, and as you stand up for yourself in that way, that becomes a person, you become a person with a more courageous heart.
0: Yeah, people think they're going to turn into some kind of wet noodle who can never do anything if they're kind to themselves. But it's com- it's the complete opposite. And I like to say to clients, kindness gets shit done.
1: Kindness gets shit done. Kindness can be strong. You can have gentle strength. Strength doesn't equal violence.
0: No, and it's... It- across the research, people who are more kind and compassionate to themselves achieve more. So if you wanna look at it like that, if you wanna drive to be more kind and compassionate, then do it for that reason, try it out.
1: And what you can hope to come to when you work with some of this is a sense of your own true conscience. We talked about this again in the Kicking the Inner Critic, but a sense of a true feeling Of what you stand for, what you value, and who you are as a valuable human being, as a valuable being. And as we start to live like that, you can laugh a little bit, you can have a little fun, you can let loose.
0: Yeah, exactly. And your true conscience, you're only beholden to yourself then. So if you know yourself you know what your values are, what you hold dear, then you know when you've stepped outside your own kind of moral code and then you are more m- more immune to shame, to shaming, to being humiliated by other people or the culture or, or whatever. But it also, okay, I, I know where I am in this world and I know what I want and... If I'm not feeling good about something that I've done, then I can bring myself back in line. Like I I I, because I trust myself because I've got a conscience. I don't need somebody to be over me like smacking the ruler.
1: Yeah, that's really gorgeous, Alex. That sense of, of trusting oneself. Because that is powerful. That's power, that's strength, that's integrity. Trusting in oneself. Yeah, right. You're not Mm self-doubting. You're not double-thinking. You're not checking in with everybody to see if you're okay. You trust your own goodness. You trust your own value.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I think that if you've explored it as well, and you've explored, I would say, your capacity for evil your capacity for being naughty or bad or you know breaking taboos if you've ex- explored that with a strength without shaming yourself when you are faced with that situation you are more likely to stick with your own moral code whereas if you've pushed that down if you've pretended that that's not a part of you if you've repressed that it's much harder to do and that is, that is um, also reflected in the research
1: well so I think we um, took a bit of a ride today through some difficult territory and I hope that if this has stirred something up in people that you'll reach out um, you can reach out to us directly you can reach out to a therapist to get some help You can listen to some more podcasts. Do whatever it takes to support yourself in this. This is a big deal. But know that there are those of us out there that this really matters to, and you're not alone in this.
0: Yeah, lovely. And if you would like to work with me, holistic body coaching with a heart, then my details will be in the show notes as always.
1: As will mine.
0: Thanks for listening. Thank you. Take care. It would really mean so much to us if you enjoyed this podcast. Please rate, follow, and review us.
1: Special thanks to Reed Anderson for our theme.